You know what that's from? No. You don't? Mm-mm. Oh man, this is Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, remember? They're, they're when they go down to the slime, the slime thing, and the cop comes over. He's like, Why are you busting my balls? Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like We're just doing? trying to work on all the power lines. They're like, The power oh. lines are over there. That's the power lines are over there. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I always wanted to do that. Just dress up like construction workers and have someone else dress up like a cop because and have this exact exchange in public. Yeah, and I, I, people would not care, right? <laughs> or or someone would pick up on it and be like, oh, I get it, I get it. You know, I mean, if you just wear a reflective vest and a hard hat and carry a clipboard... You can generally get anywhere. You can take over the world. You can go anywhere. There was a guy that had a Twitter account where he would he would show that with his reflective vests and and walkie-talkie, he could get into any concert for free. (laughs) That's ingenuity. Nice. You know? Very nice. That's thinking outside the box. That's awesome. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Starting a little... Awkward, probably because we're both hammered. But we have a special guest today, Mr. Tim Pachesa, retired Tech P. Indeed. Retired Tech P chief. Show, 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 show them that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Scott Ransom, thank you for this gift. One of my favorite things. Never leave without it. Command chief. There's a star in there. Ooh, he got the extra. You got the E10, did you? <laughs> That's a, a dangerous thing to even try to admit to. So, no. <laughs> you and I have known each other for a good 17 years. You bet. You bet. Uh, you were at Fort Bragg, right? I was. Well, where'd you start? Where'd you... I'm a Bragg baby. Where, uh, but what did you come into the Air Force as? I came into the Air Force uh, as combat control trainee, mm. only because no one told me about TACP. Yeah. And so, so I was there in Indoc and did Indoc for like eight, eight months. And then you just kept just, doing indoc. Well, I got <laughs> I, I got sick, then I got hurt. So by the time I was in like the third third class, like a, a week from a week or two from graduation, and I up and quit. One of the instructors there was just a jerk, and so I met some of the TACPs going through. So I quit, and the instructor was like, "Hey, we'll we'll get you hooked up with TACP, right? We don't want to see this go go poorly." And so this and is after you I already went to back. free fall and everything, right? No, oh no, yeah. So oh, you did that yeah. at the fourteenth. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. So, 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 so did that, did, didn't, did make it through Indoc. And it's not like I, I, I quit in the pool that day. I, one of this, one of the instructors, his name's Adam, uh, was just a jerk. And I was like, you know, if putting up with this means I get to deal with people like you. I want no part of it. Yeah. And so the instructors were, were really cool that, hey, we'll talk to the TACP recruiter. So went down there, went down to tech school in the summer 95 to Fort Walton Beach, um, tried out for the airborne program, right? Made it, uh, me and, um, and what one other guy. So graduated tech school on a Thursday, was there at airborne school Friday, finished <laughs> airborne school, drove up to Fort Bragg, North Carolina in October of 95, and thus started my career. Wow. And what was the 14th? By the way, 14th was my first unit. Like that's what I attribute everything that I got to do as a TACP was because of the 14th ASOS, because of the guys that were there, the guys that raised me. They you were bet. amazing crew. And if you look at that roster now, they're all chiefs and 
have silver stars. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Very fair. So yeah, what did what, so it was, was it, it was the fourteenth then or was it still five oh seven tack aircraft? Uh, no, so it, it it had only it had been the fourteenth for about a year or so, oh, like wow. year or two tops. So so just coming into there. Looking back on it, like I loved every second of it and like some some of the most amazing relationships were born of those times. Some of the people that had the uh, greatest impact in my career were there at the time and they showed me what to do. And there was also an even mix of people I just absolutely could not stand, like the worst leaders I've ever met. And so even when, when I became a command chief, you get asked all kinds of questions. And I said, you know, whatever that, whatever that little star had in the middle of my stripes, I would go back to my first bosses at Fort Bragg and be like, hey, I get that I'm just a dog shit airman and I don't know anything right now, but one day I'm going to know something. <laughs> one day I'm going to be a chief in our career field. One day I'll be, I'll be a, 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 one of the senior chiefs in the United States Air Force. Do you really have to treat me like shit right now? Yeah. Or can you possibly look at my potential and recognize, and maybe I can only breach that success with your help, but I'm going to go out and find success anyway. I'm going to go ahead and prove it. But what would that look like if you could look and give me that kind of focus? And that's kind of what really started a lot of my thoughts of, of true leadership development. Well, and you know, to me, I didn't understand it then, but I get it now. And now that I look back on kind of the process that the 14th had then, when I went through, I really, I really liked it uh, just because... It was, it was really hard those first six months, but once I got my combat mission ready status and they did the ceremony that they, which I, I doubt they still have because God forbid you, the, the, the people that, the people that are, are, are recruited to, to, to kill mass amounts of people, God, we can't have them roughhousing. <laughs> Lieutenant colonels lose their goddamn minds. Oh, the boys are fighting again. <laughs> but it was, it was, I was treated like garbage. Then I got my CMR status and, and had, had, you know, five or six TDYs under my belt with the team. And then I came in one morning and they roughed me up. They rolled me up, threw me in the pit, smoked the dog shit out of me. And again, I didn't know what I did that morning. I thought, I thought yep. I was, I was coming around the corner and as I'm doing push-ups in the fucking pond, uh, I come up in the up position and the entire flight's standing there and they tell me to recover. And then they all shake my hand and talk you to bet. me like a normal person and say, welcome to the team. Absolutely. And I then was accepted into the team. It was, oh, we're going to fucking test you for a little while until you we bet. decide if we want you with us or if we're going to shove you upstairs with all the other people that that can't handle the boys. Right. Um, because that was it. If you, if you couldn't handle the guys, then you went upstairs to an admin job. Yeah. They, 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 need, they needed to squirrel you away <laughs> where, yeah, at 100%. So let me see if my, my time as the 14th historian can be correct. 95. So it was Valella and Cross. And so they, they got there about a year. We had, we had two guys first that, that I, I won't mention that was not a fan of. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get Mark Valella and Roger Cross. Yeah. Right. Two Ranger Cab dudes jumped into Panama. Right. Time, time, <laughs> That's got to be crazy for you guys. Then and, and, and again, like there, there wasn't 9 11. So yeah. this was like the closest cool the shit. The only war people that, that existed. Like Desert, Desert Storm happened, but it was a hundred hour ground battle, right? So there wasn't much. So here you got two pipe hitters coming in, you know, jumped into combat ranger time. You're like, whoa, shit. And I Mustard remember- Mustard stains. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and I remember- intimidating. 
Well, like I, I remember Valella, like he was talking to me about my sideburns, right? Yeah. And he's like, hey, Aaron Pachesa, your, your sideburns are close to being out of regs. And I was like, I was like, uh, well, like they're, they're not, they're, they're right there. He's like, you know what? You're right. You have met the standard today. You can meet the standard, you can exceed the standard, or you can set the standard. Now, which douchebag do I think you are? <laughs> I'm like, wow, that cut me deep. But it was, it was absolutely spot on, right? But again, that, that level was just emphasis. Like in a simple phrase, you know, 25 years later, I still remember that conversation with Mark. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. So then how did, uh, did Freefall come about? So, so, free, so I was there at, at 14 ASOS, and then I tried out to become a soft tack P. So I moved over to what was then the 22nd, 22nd ASOF. So I go to the 22nd to work with 1st Battalion, 3rd Group. And right then, like a fallout halo slot came and pushed right over, and there it was. There it is. Was Buddy Mac there? Buddy Mac was not there at the time. He uh, Was he at the 14th? He was, he was at the 14th. Oh, that is that had to be fun. <laughs> I can't imagine seeing Buddy Mac with with color in his hair. He's he's <laughs> he's such a good dude, right? Like even even now, just just crazy energy, like very very infectious, and it's kind of like that that gruff, you know, rah rah rah. But it's completely sweet and adorable if you know the man behind it, right? I mean, he's absolutely amazing. Oh yeah, that, that was my first walking onto the compound, uh, October twentieth of two thousand three. It was seven o'clock in the morning. Buddy was was uh, wearing Ultima jungle boots and no top and BDUs and a brown T-shirt. He's like, "You Taylor?" Yeah. He goes, "Great." And he takes my record, my my big sealed pack of records for me. He goes, "Run around the building until I come get you." And I'm like, "I said run around the building." So I started running around the building. And at eleven o'clock, he came and got me. <laughs> And that, that, that was, was my intro you know? to Buddy. <laughs> what a great dude. Uh, so, yeah, what year did you go over to the 22nd? So I went there in 99. Uh, so I had, had, a, had a really great time. And then I left. I PCS'd out of Bragg in January of 02 uh, for, for Korea. And then that really started a weird series of events of, I never had an assignment that was longer than two and a half years. Really? Like for, and I moved around a lot right? and it was, it was really odd because I was there for like six, six, seven years. Right. So I thought, okay, I'll, you know, and then all of a sudden you take one assignment, you take another, cause then it was Korea for a year, then Colorado for two and a half, then Germany for two and a half, then El Paso for two. So coming back from Korea, did you go to the 13th or did you go 13th. to the 10th? 13th. Okay. All right. And then. And so, yeah. So, and then actually went over, went to the 13th from Korea and then, you know, two, three months later, there I was, you know, invading Iraq with 3rd ACR. You know, like, we're a couple of weeks behind the, the main push, but there, there it was. Wow. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that was my 2003. <laughs> and then what? That's when you went to Hawaii? No. And so, so did, uh, did that was in Carson from 03 to 05. Then I went to Germany, to Hohenfels, to the training center there. And I get there. Then two weeks later, they changed that and they stand up this joint fire center of excellence and then that's when we stood up the JTAC schoolhouse there. Oh, really? So we went through the GIFCOM accreditation and doing all that. And we got accredited before uh, 60TS out of Nellis did. So, so I went through, so I stood up that unit and, and I was one of the primary instructors. And so I always, I lived in uh, the east side of Germany, but then for five weeks at a time, I'd be on, on the west side there at Spengdalen where, where, where it's not now. Who, but, who was the, the crew that... Uh, uh, so we had Jason Meek, Nick Peacock, um, Rob, uh, no, not Rob Ellis. Why am I drawing a name? Um, drawing a blank on his name. I'll think of it. He's the chief now in the Jersey Guard. Okay. 
Yep. Yeah, Meek so and, Crash Meek and Peacock. You bet. Two good names. And so when uh when did when did you get promoted to E7? Like cuz that's when the career starts to take a change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So coming out of Germany, um I had made E7 and again, because I was, I was at the schoolhouse, so I'm teaching doctrine, yeah. right? So all of a sudden, I test for the first time and make E7. So E7 Which, select. by the way, like, the Air Force isn't, d- doesn't do a very good job like the Navy does. Like, the Navy right. very holds their senior NCOs to a very, very prestigious. It is impressive how yes. they do it. And I don't, I don't get it, like... The Air Force just is like ah fuck it whatever. Yeah, you know I, I think I think I think we're we're, we're honestly getting there. But again, like the, the Navy has two hundred plus years of experience doing this. Yeah, right. So they've got that culture from going back yeah, and all. It's not hard for us to stuff. adopt. So no, no, that's true. But, but it's already been written. Yeah, but it's just, yeah, they, yeah I, they do a phenomenal, better, phenomenally better job. Agreed. Agreed. At at just making it like like. If an E7's walking around in the Navy, you, you, you did something wrong. Right. People are like, oh, shit. Well, like, you know, but it was, it was really weird because once I pin on Master Sergeant, once I had that rooftop, it was, that was the most distinct change I ever saw in how people treated me. Really? So it's like the ceremony to that, but I would go into different places and the way I was treated in customer service and anything was much, much different than anything <laughs> else I'd ever witnessed. So, so again, I, it, it, it is a fair comment, but in all fairness to the, to the Air Force, or at least, it, you know, for me, um, there was a distinct change in people treating me different when I became a master. Surgeon. And where, where were you at then? In Germany. I pinned on, so I made it in Germany and then I went over, I was the first TACP assigned to 7 ASOS, our beloved hustlers. Yeah. And so, so I, I became a master sergeant out there. That's right. You, you stood the unit up. I did. Because it was moving from Germany, right? Yep. Uh, the, the, ar- the army unit, yeah. the fir- first armor division was. And so every, anyone PCSing for any amount of time was going to go through El Paso just because we needed all those people. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a hustler at one point. Um, Possibly one of the most historic hustlers over a little incident with a cow. <laughs> As I'm sure many people have heard, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the, the cow incident um, oh, is God. not unheard of. <laughs> I remember running, uh, running into the group commander right after it happened in Vegas because I was there for SHOT Show on leave doing my side shit. And then, boom, I smack into Colonel Bell. And he just goes, what the fuck? And I'm like, sir, seriously, is a cow. <laughs> and he was like, not the answer I want to hear out of you, Taylor. <laughs> like, but and, sir, seriously. <laughs> and that's it, right? Because, because and, and you know, in, in all fairness to those ranges, th- those were the best ranges ever. And yeah. you had free reign. When you're out there, you're out there, you own it and you go. So I, I can understand uh, a sense of, Empowerment, not necessarily well, entitlement, I mean, but it, empowerment. It was, it was and it happened, you know, dumb, dumb. But, and, and but again, like my role was, hey, I'm, <laughs> I, this was three days after I got to a unit after being an instructor for four years. You think I'm ratting out the guys? No. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I'm sealed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what my LOR says. Despite dis, despite numerous threats to his career, he refused to cooperate with the investigation. Exactly, I ain't no rat bitch. Because <laughs> well, like that's that that is honestly tough, right? Because if you go back to the movie Ascent of a Woman, right, where where Chris O'Donnell could have easily given up the dudes, right? His whole life's on the line, and and his career and his schooling. All he has to do is rat him out, but he has a conflict where he doesn't want to do that. So you listen to Al Pacino's soliloquy at the very end, talking about, hey, but at least he's not a rat. 
<laughs> you know, like he doesn't give up his buddy. So like, and then again, cause I, I'm kind of, you know, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, but I, I appreciate the lesson of team integrity. Well, 90% you know? of, of, of that unit at the time were all guys that came through tech school <laughs> through my regime. So if I flip on those dudes and put myself first, then the nails in my coffin, right? I'm, I have lost them forever. So what's the point of even being at the unit anymore? And also at the end of the day too, for me, like it, it was a matter of pay the owner. Like, so when you're making such a big deal, because I mean, OSI was a fucking retarded. They brought dogs to the squadron. What are you looking for? Yeah. A cow was yeah. shot on a range. Yeah, this by wasn't like a, a rowdy induced boys. vendor. Yeah. Right. Like, as hookers and blow are going to be dropping from the, the ceiling. Unit. It's like, you're, you're such a fucking grotesque waste of money and time. Like, your ideas are stupid. You all just stop. Like, yeah. you shouldn't be allowed to spend fucking the government's cash on this stupid shit. Uh, but that's yeah. that's the whole thing. That's what my point was. The second we got balled up was, all of us can come together with double what the cow's worth. Tell us who to pay. Get us the fuck out of here. This is you're wasting everyone's time yeah. because at the end of the day, they locked up seven people in and 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 you know maybe ten different trips up to OSI, all for the trigger puller against the cow to get a thousand dollar fine and community service. So you did all this for one guy that that got community service. Yeah. Like, look at how ridiculous this is. Well, and then, and then, you know, add, added to that, the, the problem that, that I've seen, and, and perhaps it, this got easier for me as I, as my career progressed was the bad part, one of our buddies, Jason, yeah. right. Who, who got in trouble. And because he got in trouble, he was earmarked during this specific period of time, which was also his reenlistment window. So now, now he's not allowed to reenlist. So like, was your intent to make sure that you torpedoed this guy's career? Probably not. It's an unfortunate consequence of these actions and a side effect of what they were trying to do. But at the same time, there, there should have been some foresight to understand the, the repercussions. Well, that of- was a super bad move by the commander. Agreed. Because the, the, the biggest thing in this whole fucking ordeal that was completely overlooked was Jason was a program manager that just scored an excellent on a SAF. That doesn't happen. Right. So you want to target... A guy that's running one of your programs that just got you an excellent, like, you're an idiot. And you just- If there's ever, as a commander, if there's ever someone that it's like, hey, maybe we sweep that. Because at the end of the day, Jason wasn't the fucking trigger puller. Right. So for him to be- and he got spanked the hardest yes, as it, as it that's turns what I mean. out, right? How do you not have the foresight to understand the ramifications of, of this process? I mean, that was blatant unfair treatment. Yeah, like, you know, and it's and it's and it's 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 really weird. And again, the the wing commanders that I worked for as a command chief absolutely always had those thought processes in mind. Like, hey, what happens for this? When are they going to reenlist? Have they been in for three years, right? If I kick them out, do they get GI Bill benefits, right? So there's there's a whole lot of conversation that, from my ignorant perspective, because I obviously I, I wasn't there, I don't want to say that that there are some certain things that should have been looked at that, from my ignorant perspective, weren't, and it, it cost a really good dude. Well, a great this career. is this is my this and we lost comes, a good operator. Yeah. Well, this comes down to one of the biggest things lacking out of leadership in the military that I've seen going over to the business world is they don't, no one takes into account cost. What did we cost ourselves by throwing away a green JTAC eye 
that's a program manager that can fucking right. score an excellent. Yeah. What does that cost us to, to remake? Yeah. $10 Huge. million? Dollars? Huge. If? I mean, the, the, fuel for yeah. fucking jets, the schools, the training, every, the certifications, yeah. and then the dependability on somebody that you know that can, you, you just threw away, like, especially at the time, we had five people at the seventh that had been attack P for over 10 years. And you just got rid of one. Like yeah. my biggest complaint of his being there is we had no mid-tier NCOs. There was no experience. You had a flight chief that was a three-level that just went through tech school and is and is making decisions for an entire flight and an entire brigade. It's like, and you're gonna like like that was straight up a horrible command. Yeah. And that, you know, and again, and again, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm not there. I don't know the guy. I wasn't privy to the conversations or any of that stuff from the outside looking in. I can't make sense of that. Right. And again, I, I, I don't think if, if he were to do that again, I would realistically hope that he could sit back and realize that, Hey, here's, here's what general Goldfein taught me. Right. And it comes with dropping bombs in Afghanistan is could, should, must. Because we're like in 2012, we're there. And then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden for a week, he's like, because there was a bomb that dropped. It was a good kill. But there were women and children, unbeknownst to us there that, that, that were affected by this. He's like, no dropping bombs for a week. And he's like, I'm coming to Bagram. I want to meet all the JTACs from RC East, right? And we're going to have a conversation. Brought all of us in. And the squadron commander was like, was like hey, sir. He's like, if my guys aren't here to drop bombs, can, can, can my guys go home? And, and General Goldfink, God bless him. He was like, he's like, you know what? That's a fair question. It's just the wrong question. The question isn't, are you here to drop bombs? The question is, why are we here? To build and develop uh, an independent government of Afghanistan and dropping bad bombs onside that infrastructure is contrary to that very point, right? He's like, so so guys, he's like, could, should, must. Could you drop the bomb? Should you drop the bomb? Must you drop the bomb? If you guys can track this down to must, I've probably got your back in every single one of those scenarios, but I need you to execute that thought process. And I bring this up because I wish that commander would have thought that. Like, could I do this to him? Should I do this? And must I do this to him. Yeah. In my mind, it doesn't pass the common sense test as far as the application towards Jason. No, I mean because you, you just you, you just fired yeah. one of the best dudes you had in the unit. You bet. He's phenomenal. Oh, over what? And like people make mistakes, <laughs> but like if you can't let an E five or E six make mistakes, like you give them the opportunity to recover. I, I got kicked out of a country as an E five, right? So I, go on. Sh- shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> So that sucks, right? And and so I got uh, I got so the problem was was that I, I was a, a bit of a problem kid, but nothing had really bubbled up to a you're a I wasn't a problem kid. I had just some issues, right? So I hadn't raised that level. So this happens. I get kicked out of the country, and what happened? What I did? The army commander I was working for heard a whole different story of this yelling incident that I had with this guy in in uh, Sarajevo where I was drinking, but we could drink on Camp Bootmere at the time. Yeah. So it wasn't an alcohol-related incident. But he heard that I had to be restrained and the cops got involved. I was throwing furniture, which quite literally none of that happened. I did yell at this guy, very unprofessional. And so, uh, so by the Not time- Not necessarily. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah perhaps. Some, but, some people need yelling. Fair. That's absolutely <laughs> fair. That is, and again, I, I was, and again looking, looking back on it, it's one of the best things that happened to me. What I did, should that have gotten me kicked out of the country? Absolutely not. Having said that, 
I was on a glide path for destruction. <laughs> so if it didn't happen then, it would have happened to me soon enough. And I'm glad, it, and, and again, I got kicked out of the unit and fired right before September 11th, like six weeks before. Holy so shit. I watched that whole unit go off to war and invade Afghanistan. And I'm, I'm, sit, I'm sitting back licking my wounds because I'm, I'm the loser who, who, who couldn't do anything. But again, but, but that, that was such a great learning lesson for me that I don't think I would have had the career that I had had I not failed yeah. Or, or fallen and given myself the opportunity to build myself back up. If somebody would have kicked me out of the Air Force, they would have solidified that as a failure. But if you have the presence of mind to screw up and realize on any timeline, like any timeline past that event where you endeavor to do better, it's not a failure. It's just yeah. a setback. If you have the presence Jay, of mind Jay to see it that Jay would be a chief way. right now. Hands yeah. down. Easy. Yeah, fair. Yeah. He would have, he would have fucking, run, like, yeah. that was a, that was, you got me thinking about it. That was a horrible fucking decision on their part. Like, um... But back to the yelling. Yeah. That goes to one of my philosophies. Your rank doesn't mean you're right. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Well, and yeah. a lot of people have mistaked that. Like, like, and and that was really that was me with a fire senior NCO that, you know, I I got into heated arguments with, but they were all because he was wrong. Yeah. And he knew he was wrong, but was just trying to 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 sweep it up because uh, you know he's an E seven and I'm not I'm an E four. Yeah, you know rank doesn't make you right. And yeah, we were having a conversation the, the other night about some of these things. Is that emotional intelligence? People have to have it. And again, like my, my my leadership company, the first step for me for my leadership clients is to not give you a leadership program. My first step is to train your people on five hard skills that every adult needs. And it's, it's uh, emotional intelligence, it's personalities, it's mindfulness, it's theories of motivation and a communication infrastructure type thing that, that all adults need, right? This isn't, this isn't about leadership, it's about good dudership. Yeah. Let's just be good people. And then if I can make people hopefully more uh, emotionally intelligent, they're like, hey, maybe you don't have to, like we were talking like, like, hey, you and I can disagree, but now it's not conflict because we're two emotionally intelligent adults where we can disagree and all of a sudden we're not exchanging fuck yous at each other, right? But can, can we do that? And so, and I, I have the real toughest time because can, can we not ask a question? Because I'm, I'm not trying to be subversive, right? I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm not trying to be confrontational. I have a question. Yeah. What is so bad with me asking a question? You know, and so, and, and, that I, and that's, that's some of the scar tissue I've built up over some, you know, the years of military service was people, you ask somebody who outranks you a question, I, I'm just asking a question and it's, yeah. it's, it, and I, I may be no, I critiquing the, you, but it's not a judgment. The ACC command chief came like three days before I ETS from active duty and, uh, you know, did his, did his speech and then asked for questions. And I stood up number, number one and said, yeah, who's being reviewed right now in the air force for the medal of honor. Oh, well, we don't do things for, for medals. I'm like, that's not, what I just asked. I said, why don't we have one? Because all these young guys like need the heroes to look up to. And it's, we're not short of people that have been doing great shit. You guys have been horrible at freaking doing this for us. Yeah. You know, and now what, what I will say uh, is that thankfully or unfortunately, depending on your, your point of view is so many of our senior leaders now, their whole career has been warfare. Yeah. Right. So now we have lieutenant colonels and chief master sergeants whose entire career they joined after September 11th, and now it's warfare, and they're chiefs and colonels, right? And they're they're moving forward, doing all that stuff. So so they're they're less prone to have that type of attitude. Yeah. And so I, I think that is a positive thing. Uh, it's still going to take some time to to work its way through. But the 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 senior leaders that that I know of, so whether it's uh, 
Uh, Joe Bass, the chief master sergeant of the Air Force, right? She's absolutely amazing. And Brian Krizelnik is the AMC command chief. He and I still talk and, and discuss leadership philosophy. Dave Wolf over in PACAF just taken over there. Like phenomenal guy who, and these people all legitimately care. Like they care about people. And so that transcends and permeates everything. And it's, it's, it's really fun to watch because a lot of those leaders that, that I grew up with that, that I couldn't stand are slowly attriting themselves through retirement. Yeah. And I'm very happy to see that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. The, the leaders, the, the, the next 10 years in the military is going to be different. 100%. Because you, you're the people making the decisions are more of an operations mindset. You bet. Of, of hey, we had to actually do this. Because before, I mean, you and I were talking about this the other day. It's like just looking at REDS, risk estimated distances for bombs, like... We redefined that in the first five years of, of going to war with Afghanistan and Iraq because for the first time we started actually doing it, humans had to drop danger close yeah. within 0.1%. And it, it wasn't about and attacks parallel to the flood for yeah. a soldier in yeah. winter clothing no. with a Kevlar <laughs> yeah. on, yeah. right? You, you know, getting away from that, but like, what does this no shit really mean for the practical application of three-dimensional air-to-ground warfare? Yeah. That's wild. Okay, so you kind of dropped it subtly, but uh, your your business now. Yeah, tell us about that. Um, so you, you, were, you retired when? I retired about a year and a half ago. So yeah. officially retired one July. And you were the AMC command chief. Then? I was not. I was an AMC. Um, I I was on my second uh, command chief gig, and they gave me a great opportunity to do a second one that was only a year to help kind of speed things up and maybe get me on a path towards increased awesomeness and or progression to, through the command chief ranks. So, you know, huge, huge thanks to the leaders in uh, Air, Air Mobility Command and uh, Chief Wright, K. Wright, uh, you know, oversees a lot of that stuff. He was a downrange command chief as well. So so he has, he's got a felt need for those people. So had that job and then my EPR came out and I was getting a, getting a strat to become a n- numbered Air Force command chief. Not saying I was going to get hired, but that's what now four-star General Jeff Cobra Harrigian put on my EPR, said, hey, I want you to be a numbered Air Force command chief. And so um, I just turned it down. I was like, I'm just ready to be done and, 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 yeah. and be a dad. But I had always been um, a student, I think, of psychology and a student of human interaction and uh, always had great mentors when it comes to, to leadership. And so um, my NCO Academy instructor, uh, now retired Chief Master Sergeant Rochelle Woodruff Kelso, changed my life. And really got me to think about leadership. And again, not just not just leadership in this platitudinal face value, but like true leadership philosophy. Like, what does this actually mean? How does this practically and tangibly apply? And what can we do on a repeated basis to, to do all that? So anyway, um, so I, I got out, I, I started a podcast and, and just really wanted to kind of share some of the lessons learned or thought that I had. And then people seemed to respond well to that. So that kind of turned into to something else. And so now I've got clients and I go out and I, I teach my understanding of leadership and, and what it can mean to individuals and what it should mean to let you be uniquely and beautifully you and then help put you inside of this leadership system where everyone else has that same opportunity. Because there's this, this phenomenal quote out there that says, says, you are perfectly unique, just like everybody else in the world, <laughs> right? And so, but that's, that's absolutely valid. So we need to understand, we, we can't just see people as this herd. Right. And, you know, we had to do that for a long time in, in, in the, the military, whether it was like Army or Marine Corps. So large, uh, high intensity conflict, force on force battles. Right. We had to do that based on technology limitations, communication limitations. We needed people. The, the, the leadership model was just do what you're told. 
Don't ask why, just go out and execute. Well, that made sense from the dawn of warfare up until September 11th, where even if, if you go back to, to Vietnam, you have the platoon leader and the RTO, he'd get a command, hey, we're, we're gonna take that hill. And he'd repeat it, hey, we're gonna take that hill. Hey, we're gonna take that hill. Okay, go. And everyone would take that hill. You wouldn't ask why which then goes to a different discussion is inside the military, do we train people to be disciplined or do we train them to be obedient? And a lot of this leans towards the latter, right? We teach obedience in a lot of levels and I'm not trying to downplay it. We just need to speak with the right words and understand it for what it truly is. Because if we were truly a well-disciplined force, we, we wouldn't have drug problems or drinking and driving or spousal abuse, right? Or, or gangs, right? Yeah. All this kind of stuff. That doesn't happen in a well-disciplined force, but that's because we weren't trained to be disciplined. We were trained to be obedient. So, so this is part of this, this deconstructing leadership journey that I've been on to, to help really get people to see what's going on because people needed to be, needed to be obedient to hear those calls to go execute. Well, now, like, like we were talking last night, you've got you know, two dudes with, with you know, 40 uh, guard soldiers, right? Who just get plopped in the middle of a valley, right? And now we're in a 13 hour firefight for their life, zero friendly casualties. And like 350 to 450 and enemy losses because those two knew what was going on and we had the communication infrastructure to help them find success. The sad thing is, is that story's never been told. And that story's Why, never like, been told. I, I mean, I thought about that. I, this came to me like uh, a couple months ago. I started calling my friends that are still in. I was like, hey, in your career, have you ever been pulled upstairs to and, and locked the doors to secret level and someone shh? show you what good sounds like? They're like, no. Can you believe that? As JTACs. That's tough. I, I spent 15 years as a TAC fee. Not one time did they bring us up to just show us what, what good was. And I, I, I mean, they, they're good at telling us what that is. Right, right. But never. And that's, that's, and, and that's how many absolutely tapes fair. exist out there right. of, hey, this dude did amazing. We need to show all of our JTACs, ICs and, and JTACs this because they need to hear what this sounds like. And I just I thought that was crazy. And like, I, I, I think we're getting better now, like over the past 10 years to where we have the first enlisted, uh, enlisted patches, weapons, weapons yeah. school graduates. So we have patches and now we're building these web tax centers inside all of our squadrons. And so, so that, that is the impetus behind it. So they can really deep dive into a lot of that training. So I, I, I think it's coming there. I think we've made great strides. We're not there yet, but the evolution of that type of, of training as it has been on the app. Well, so back to your, your point about the military in general, obedience versus disciplined. I mean, there's a lot of complex issues there sure. in the aspect of, I mean, look at our target for recruiting though. Mm -hmm. We're recruiting the bottom. We're trying to, to, to dangle a little treat of we'll pay for college and we'll give you a paycheck. Like, so our pool that we're pulling from are not right. the, the bright, the intelligent, the smart, the, the well put together, well disciplined, quite possibly. Like, yep. So now you're having to take this this group of people and teach that and hope that it sticks. Yeah, you know that that is true on a lot of levels. And I know about a decade ago, the army got in huge trouble for deliberately targeting uh, lower income communities and, and stuff like that in order to to attract those people. So I think I think the different services have different random smatterings of, of the quality of, of people. Um, I, I I think by and large the, the the people who join the military, like for me, they they join for just a handful of reasons, right? Some 
so, like even now, because like there's there's some people serving right now who weren't alive when September 11th happened, yeah. right? So so that's not one that's common anymore, but they, they want to serve their country. Some want educational benefits, some want medical benefits, uh, some want to learn a trade, and some just want to support the country, right? So mm-hmm. so you, you have all those reasons. So, so people join for all those. But again, which is why I go back to that point of, if, if we're going to discuss leadership, let's talk about, I've, I've got a concept, we need to send people to hell. We need to create the best human we can, yeah. make that human an expert, and make that expert a leader. Now, and these aren't stovepipe things, right? There's the gradual process as, as, as you go through that. But step one, if, if you're going to train somebody on leadership, it's like, it's, it's, like, it's like adding oil to your car when you need an oil change, right? If you don't get rid of the bad, if you don't fix what the actual problem is, yeah. I don't care what kind of fucking oil you put in there. So what we need to do is train the adults on these five critical skills. First, before we even start talking about leadership, equip them with an understanding of that emotional intelligence, of different personalities, because you and I have different personalities. And like, there are people that I know in this world that I absolutely cannot stand. I don't have a good thing to say about them, but I don't have one negative thing to say about them either. We just don't click. And it's personalities, right? But can we train people to have the omnipresence to understand that, that just because I don't get along with you, perhaps, doesn't make you wrong or me right. We just don't get along, right? And so, and then it, continuing down that road with why, what motivates different people to different levels? What can we give them for mindfulness skills, right? To help them figure out what happens. How do they react when things go poorly or how do they train their brain before things go poorly I mean, to react to it? People don't realize that 90% of your workday is conflict resolution, no matter where you are. 100%. It's- <laughs> and, and again, and, it's, and, it, and it, it, I don't, I hate, different I hate types hyperbole, of conflicts, right? It's, it's different types of conflicts. And it is, it is always, right? I hate hyperbole. It's always communication. Yeah. Like always. And, and, and it's weird. It's like people get butthurt over the simplest things. And it, it's, it's nearly always a communication thing, a breakdown in communication, a lack of communication, a misinterpretation of what that communication was. You know, somebody gets butthurt because you send out an, a nasty email, but it was a nasty email. You're like, hey, Chachi, Go do this. Yeah. Right. I'm like, well, you didn't even say please. Like, yeah. Well, that's it's what like, your paycheck. I, I didn't for. have time. You know what I mean? Like, and like, like, and again, like I benefit of the doubt. That, yeah. Right. Did I really think that you were barking at me? Right. And then that's it. Like benefit of the doubt. And we we're having this conversation the other night. Benefit of the doubt looks like, okay, I'm mad because you sent me an, an angry email. Am I emotionally intelligent enough to say, okay, was JT really trying to piss me off with this email? If that answer is no, every other option becomes viable and plausible. Right. And if I, but only if I'm emotionally intelligent to say, okay, he probably didn't mean to be curt with me or, you know, to hurt my feelings or any of that stuff. He just, he probably was short and he sent it from his phone, probably doing anything. Hey, Tim, go, go Charlie Mike and make it happen. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got to go Charlie Mike. It's fine. Right. And, but, but there's, there's people who don't have that skill, who don't realize the difference in personalities, the different breakdowns of communication. And again, we need to give benefit of the doubt. Well, take emotional intelligence, take the tone away. Was there a personal attack anywhere in this sentence? No, no. It's just instructions. So, so leave tonality out of it, right? And just do the job. Like, and 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 then that's it, right? It it, it also comes down to there's a difference between a critique and a judgment. Like, you could be like, "Hey, Chachi, you you did this wrong." Is a critique. Hey, Chachi, you did this wrong because you're a fucking idiot. Okay, that that is a judgment, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, most of the time, it doesn't go to the level of judgment. Let's just take a critique. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you you were touching the other night on your uh, theory on expectations. Dive into that. Yeah. So um, the thing that we talk about when we think when we think in terms of communicating, we think in terms of communicating information. I think we need to get away from that. 
right? We need to think in terms of communicating an expectation because when I go, I spoke at uh, Air Command and Staff College uh, earlier uh, in, in 2020. And, uh, you know, I, I asked a question. It's like, who here has heard the phrase expectation management? All the hands go up. Like, like leader-wise, who here knows how important it is to set solid expectations? All the hands go up. I'm like, cool. Who here can define what an expectation is? Crickets. Like, who here has ever gotten any training whatsoever on how to manage an expectation? We all know it, right? But why have we never been trained? And again, no, no hands go up. So, so as, as I started breaking this down, this happened about, you know, ne- nearly a decade ago for me. I started breaking it down like, when we say the word expectations, nobody has any clue what they're talking about. It is a vague understanding of, I think something's going to happen. But you can use expectation for that. You can use assumption for that. You can use anticipation for that. You can use hope for that, right? But again, words is important, as my old boss, Colonel Steve Hodge, used to say. Words mean things. Words mean things, right? Like we have to be very deliberate with the words. And again, if we want to communicate effectively, we need to be very purposeful. And and when, when we're talking about leadership, this is affecting the the peace of mind and the, the mental readiness of our people, right? So, so let's, let's be deliberate. We just can't say expectation in this generic sense that I think something's going to happen. It has to be very specific. It has to be deliberate. The perfect example that I have, and this is going to re- resonate with us, is an airstrike is the perfect conversation, hands down, right? So I'm, I'm co-writing a book with Colonel Retired uh, Scott Soup Campbell. So he and I are putting this book together on why, through our understanding of calling an airstrikes, why we can have a, a perfect conversation, Words is important insofar as you and I know three different ways to say, I see it. We can say contact, visual, tally, right? If I talk to the pilot and I talk him on to my position, okay, cool, cool, cool. And he says, tally, I'm about to shit my pants because that means I see the target, right? Visual is I see the friendlies and contact is I see the specified reference point. If he screws up that word, I we automatically know something's wrong. Automatically know something's wrong. There is zero warm fuzzy. Now we got to take it back a couple steps. Yeah. And even if that was a mistake, he needs to be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I am a visual. I'm visual friendly, visual friendly, visual friendly, you know, and, and da, da, da. Because we know how important those words are. But if we apply that mindset and methodology towards our, our everyday thing with whatever involvement we have, whatever interaction we have with whomever in the world, we need to be very purposeful with our words. And expectations can't be that because the thing is this, what I figured out is that every single one of your emotions is based on an expectation. If you're happy about something, it exceeded your expectation. If you're thrilled, it really exceeded your expectation or or you had no expectation of it to begin with. Same thing if you're frustrated or furious, it didn't meet your expectation on some level. So once I realized that a, a successful communication of an expectation would affect the emotional well-being of the teams that I led, like, holy shit, like I really have to dive into this because I need to figure out what's the difference between an assumption and a, an anticipation, an expectation, and, and a hope so I can speak with the right words. And so it took me four years to define those terms, like four years. And, and I, I'm, I'm better off for it because if you look in the dictionary today, you can look up, expectation it says like the actor state of expecting and it says see anticipation <laughs> so you look up anticipation it's like the art or state of anticipating see expectation and then you look at the, so again they go back to this weird forgive my mouth again right but this weird triangle of fuckery of all these different words on what we do and don't understand and we and, and we say them so effortlessly but we don't have meaning there's no context behind it so we're naturally going to skew this not to mention if you and I don't have a shared and common vernacular we, based off our own personal value systems, weight words differently. 
If I give you five, five words and say, hey, JT, rate these five words from least impactful to most impactful. And it's good, awesome, spectacular, gnarly, and bodacious, right? Yeah. You and I are going to have different lists. Yeah. Because we value these words differently. So even in, in general day-to-day conversation, you and I are going to have distortion in our communication because we value words differently. Yeah. Or if I say, I, I can say, if I'm going to come over to your house on Monday, right, where I, where I flew in here, I can say, I'm going to be there um, by six o'clock at six o'clock, around six o'clock, or after six o'clock, right? All different things. They're all different things. And if I say after six o'clock, okay, you can be like, okay, it's after six. I don't know when he's getting here. That's very ineffective. Yes. And every day we put a lot of this ish into our conversations and we just got to stop with the ish because it just leads to frustration. Be very direct. You bet. And then uh, like you and I were talking about um, how drastic and impactful perspective is. Oh man. And was, the more I studied expectation, the more I realized that we need to have a conversation about perspective. Yeah. And we say perspective all the time, but again, nobody can really define it. So the, the, the study and the research that I've gone to is that, that we can break down perspective into six different things like family and family is how you were raised, where you were raised, who raised you, socioeconomic status, religious, back, religious background, everything else, right? Whatever, whatever that is. So that's family, education, training, experiences, successes, failures. And as, as we were discussing, like rarely are there true problems inside a unit. You just have different perspectives that you're not talking about. Yeah. And so what is our capacity? Or to again- assumed that, that I don't need to give you. Right. That's a big thing in the military. Yes. Is, is, and this goes back to where you said, yes, you teach obedience. So you're just going to do what I say because I said it. And that's right. it. Nope. Rather than, and you can't do that now. And not with If, a, if you are that leader in the military who just thinks that by virtue of your rank structure, you tell somebody to do, and they're as happy as, and as a pig in shit to go out and do what you said, like you just made their day because you gave them guidance, you are a leader that I hate. Right. Let's let's just understand that right now. Like, and I'm I'm not trying to be tongue in cheek, well, I mean, but just realize, is- like, if you don't see the value, because let's say that that I'm, I'm I'm working for you, right? If you don't see the value that I'm no, but what we have to look at now is this that method is antiquated. It's outdated. One hundred percent. With with the education being so much higher now, people's uh, access to information. You bet. The internet. Like you cannot, you can no longer be a, I'm not going to give you any answers type of leader. You're just going to do what I say because people will constantly question. Yeah. And then, and then like, even in the case where you have to send out that curt email to say, Hey, Chachi, go Charlie Mike. Right. Then hopefully you and I will have built a relationship beforehand that I know, Hey, when you have the information, you're going to give it to me. You probably can't right now. And again, we just, we need to deconstruct like to its atomic level, how we view military leadership. And so many people look to the military and so many people on the civilian side who look at the military like, yeah, that's that's how I lead. I tell you to do something, you do it. That's how leadership works. And that's not how leadership yeah, but works. I think people greatly lose how much value just adding a few bits of information to something. And I'll give you a perfect example is I'm a flight chief the commander calls me and is like, I, I don't have time to explain right now, but I need you guys 100% inventory, all vehicles pulled out of the bay by three o'clock today. Roger that. If I just roll in, hey, all you assholes get out there, pull the vehicles out, 100% inventory, have everything out. I want it done by three. Yep. Okay. 
How does that, how much does that change if I walk in and go, hey, boss says he can't explain to me why right now, but he needs this fucking now. Yep. We got to go outside. And just, just that. Just in that. Of, just that. In, in and of itself, like, guys, I know you want more in, in information, as do I, but right now, we got to go be awesome. Yeah. Right? And we will figure this out later. I yet. I'll try and get it, so. but it's time to be awesome. Let's go be awesome. Yeah. yeah like, I went 100%. And again, like, huge thanks to Simon Sinek for getting people to understand that. Why is a completely acceptable question to ask. And especially in... in not even military society, but contemporary American society where information is so accessible. Well, if I, I can't pass the information. Messaging. Like, yeah, messaging. Messaging from when, when you are in a leadership position. Yep. Your messaging needs to be thought about. Absolutely. So before you go to gen up that email to everybody, after you just got your orders, maybe make it a forethought to go, yep. how am I going to message this to everybody? Well, so, so here's this. For, for everybody out there, if you take nothing away from anything that, that we end up saying today, I, I, I kindly ask you to think about this. Stop passing five W's, right? So the who, what, when, where, why. Uh, and it's not that it's bad. It's got alliteration. We learned it when it's five. How could it possibly you know, go wrong? The, the problem is, is, is when you pass that, and because and, like the why is huge, so I'm happy for the why, but in this construct, the why only amplifies or modifies the what. So get away from five W's, go with eight W's. Don't brief it at the end, brief it at every of the, each one of the steps. The who and why, where and why, what and why, when and why. So you can add, again, don't think about passing information, pass expectations because an expectation is information plus context, yeah. right? So start, start doing that. And again, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's better than five W's. And again, if, if you get used to passing the why on each level, it, it alters that greatly. Like, like super greatly. And again, with just that, that small little twist to yeah. your very point. <laughs> no, there's just so many. Well, see, I felt like going through ALS, I mean, it just, it, it lacked like real, and I'm sure they have updated it since. I mean, one went through in like 2007. But coming out of that, I was like, you guys didn't teach anything but how to do a couple different pieces of paperwork. Yeah, that, you know, I, I actually struggle with that. Like Airman Leadership School, I, I, I had those, those same things. And for the first time leadership thing, and perhaps they have such limited time to teach all that they, they probably want to do, because I will do benefit of the doubt, that they had to figure out these are the things that people struggle with the most. So we have to do that. But again, when I went to NCO Academy instructor, uh, Rochelle, she, she didn't teach leadership. Like she was preaching it. Like she spoke to my soul. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, she changed the course of my life and my understanding of leadership. And again, like, and not, not in this, hey, we need to go out and lead because leadership is a feeling and we don't talk about that enough, right? Because you can look at it as a skill or an information process or a relationship or a trait, all those things. And they're all valid, which is why it's so hard to, to define expectations. But if we focus on it's a feeling that we can evoke in others, that's what it is. But that feeling is just a byproduct. And it's a byproduct of a connection that I can have with another individual or another group of individuals. But in order to have that connection, I need to have a successful interaction. In order to make that a fruitful, successful interaction, I need to speak inside the confines of a shared and common vernacular and a communication infrastructure that's meaningful to you. So let's start there. Let's, 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 get, let's train all the adults on those five hard skills and let's just focus on how we communicate with each other. That communication is gonna lead to successful interactions. Those interactions are gonna lead to, to really relationships and connection. And then that connection, the byproduct of that is going to be leadership. So how do you um, 
address kind of the checks and balances aspect of this. So let's say E7 and above is listening to your podcast, taking taking your messaging and advice to heart, but and they're doing their it correctly yep. from from their point down. But how are you managing and checking on your mid-tier NCOs to see that they're that this is moving? So and rather than, oh, I have a problem with the bottom. Right. Well, no, that problem sits right here in the middle. <laughs> and, you know, it ends up being tough because, you know, the, the thing that, that I like doing is, is when, when people hire me, the first thing I do is I make them take like a battery of tests, personality tests, grit tests, emotional intelligence tests, a communication personality test, um, a, um, a character test. Right. I, I print all this stuff out. So, so if JT is hiring me to, to come teach, I will print this out for you. My first step is to give you hopefully some greater insight to who you are just as a human being yeah. that translates in, into leadership to do whatever. I'm going to point out some of your projected uh, success areas and then some of your failure areas. Right. So if I can show you some of your weaknesses just by you being you before we talk about whatever career field you're in or field of endeavor or passion or any of that stuff is that, hey, you're prone just by your personality and your emotional intelligence to be strong and weak in these areas, that's going to be seen by other people. And what is our capacity to understand some of our blind spots, to hopefully learn some of our blind spots and then move forward? Because there's no one perfect leader. There, there's no perfect human being. But for some reason, we can't admit when we're wrong. And it's absolutely horrible. So, so here's this. And I, I don't know if you're around for, for the analogy, is that for me, the conversation of being wrong is a lot like this. If you're going to come over to my house and I'm going to cook you a chicken breast, and you come over, I season it perfectly. I throw it on the grill. It's great. I put it down in front of you. You cut right through the middle and you can see in the middle of the chicken breast is perfectly raw. Yeah. With your Mark one calibrated eyeball, you're like, hey, Chachi, this is 51% cooked. I'm like, yeah, it's 51% cooked. It's cooked. Eat it. You're like, this is gross, man. There's a lot of raw chicken here. I get that it's mostly cooked, but there's a whole lot of raw here. I'm like, it's still 51% cooked. Chow down, man. That seems like a ludicrous conversation. Yeah. But we do this with right and wrong every single day. The minute one of us is, is 51% right, we hoist a flag, we do a discount double check, right? Aaron Rodgers style. We, 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 we <laughs> declare a winner and say, hey, you know what? I'm more right than wrong, but we never give people the opportunity to have a conversation about the raw chicken, that other yeah. 49%. While I was 51% right, I brought 49% of wrong to the conversation. <laughs> what is my emotional intelligence capacity to have a conversation of while right, I probably could have done better. And I could have done a lot of better because I'm 49% wrong. Yeah. But we don't teach leaders to think in those terms. So chicken breast analogy, use it. <laughs> oh, so what's the future hold for, for Cape? Uh, you know, future in the near term is, is fun with you for a little bit, you know, and, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I just, I, I really want to change lives. Like I, I want to help people connect. I want leaders to connect with, with each other. And so if you want a phone call, if you want to text, you want me to come speak, you want to Zoom, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. I just want to increase. That'd be great. I would encourage anybody out there that owns a business that has more than two people working for you, give him a call. Yeah, <laughs> it can it's, only improve. Yeah, right. But again, it's just, it's just, and again, like we don't even have to talk about leadership. You're like, we can talk about going back to the, the expectations, right? Yeah. The example that I use is, let's say, um, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. So let's say Allie uh, comes to me and she's like, hey, some of my girlfriends are coming in Friday night and they want to go out for dinner and drinks. Is that cool? And I say, okay, what time are you coming home? She goes like, I don't know, probably you know, hour after bars close or whatever. If the girls are in town, we're going to have fun. And, and uh, 
And I say, well, how, how, how about midnight? And she says, okay. Now that's your average relationshipy type of question. Yeah. And at face value, uh, it's a good question. She knows she can go out. She can have a great time. As long as she's back by midnight, everything's fine. The only problem is it's the most bullshit conversation I have ever heard because all we were doing is throwing information at each other, right? So many of our conversations, it's like I've got a bucket of ticker tape and we're just throwing words and that's it. And we consider that communication and it's not. But again, if we focus on, on an expectation, if I can ask her, she wants to go out with the girls and I can say, okay, what are my expectations of you on Friday night? Yeah. Now it's up to her to be as open and as honest as possible because her being home at midnight is, is uh, completely arbitrary compared to her behavior. She can come home wrecked by midnight, having done shots for three straight hours, or she can come home sober at four. I mean, she doesn't do that, by the way. My wife's not a big drinker. I'm just you know, <laughs> you, you, using this analogy. We're, we're in our mid-40s. we got a four-month-old. That, that, that is not us, right? But again, but, but the story does tend to resonate with people because yeah. I, I, I right. think we've all been in that relationship situation. But again, that midnight was just arbitrary. We didn't talk about what was happening Saturday or Saturday afternoon, or what, the, what the, the, the events were. And so now she and I have gotten smarter. So now she doesn't ask if she can go out Friday. Now the conversation sounds like, hey, the girls are coming in Friday night for, for dinner and drinks. What are our expectations for the weekend? Yeah. And now we're getting it out there. And now we're front-loading the conversation. We're making ourselves have the conversation. And, like, and that's what's so great about the understanding of, of expectations is you can have deeper connection and, and richer engagements because you can think not just in terms of passing information, but leading or communicating expectations. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And uh, go over your um, data theory. Yeah, so, so there's, there's a theory of, of information, right? And it's, uh, it's DIKW is that when, when, infer- or when, when data comes in, it starts as that, is a data point. Yeah. More and more data comes in, it becomes information. More and more information comes in, uh, it becomes knowledge. And then more and more comes in, and that becomes wisdom. So this evolutionary growth of how we understand information and how we process that, right? So that's, that's how we deal with things. My CAPE model for how I understand expectations and how we communicate expectations goes on that same path with hope, anticipation, I'm sorry, hope, assumption, anticipation, expectations, predicated on like an X and Y axis of past experience and information available. The more and more information and past, and in, uh, the more experience we have, the more information that comes in, we keep climbing on that chart to go from a hope to an assumption, to anticipation, to an expectation. So if I expect you to cook me a five course dinner tonight, and I'm also, and I'm butthurt because I expected you to do that, like, why did I expect that? If we can train ourselves to do that, like, yeah. well, I, perhaps, I, I, you know, you, you live in Texas. It's probably prime for eating steaks, you know, th- three times a day, right? But I didn't have, I haven't eaten dinner that much at your house. So, so I don't have that much information or that much past experience. So I shouldn't have expected it. Yeah. I should at best anticipate it or really just assume that maybe that could possibly happen. And we can train our minds to do that. We can, we can release some of the butthurt and we can let a lot of that go and then help frame our peace of mind. Yeah, no, it, all this is great. And I encourage anybody to, uh, to, to follow up. Where can people find you? So, uh, so simple. You can go to capelead.com and just see what's C-A-P-E. going on. C-A-P-E. C-A-P-E stands for Caring, Alignment, Perspective, and Expectations. It's the, uh, the best way to have a, a simple way to have a great conversation that yeah. covers as many bases as you would want in as simple 
and infrastructure as possible. So yeah, capelead.com. Uh, you, you can text me, you know, 602-621-0821 or email me chachi, C-H-A-C-H-I at capelead.com. Awesome. I'm at and Chachi Pachesa. Yeah, podcast is called Cape Lead. So do that. Uh, Instagram, I'm at Chachi Pachesa. Uh, Twitter at Tim Pachesa. So I'm, I'm around. Awesome. Well, thanks for this. Thanks for having me. It was me. great. Always great talking to you. Great team. Appreciate the opportunity. 